episode 157 of the Bevan James Isle Show, an interview with Mike Trout. Radio team, welcome along to episode 157 of the Bevan James. I'll show you a fortnightly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of fitness so you can get all the benefits that come alongside it. I'm actually, I'm in Wellington right now, I'm in Wellington, I'm in a little hotel room and it's 5.30 in the morning on a Sunday, <laughs> I, work, I wake up early and I uh, thought to myself, I must get up and do a little bit of work. I'm not the kind of person who can just sit in bed for a long time. Uh, on a Friday, my wife and I do. We kind of sit in bed and read and stuff. But most mornings, if I wake up, and I kind of once more wake, I'm awake. And uh, I kind of will sit there for a little bit. And then I think, you know what? I might as well get up and do something. So um, I'm flying back to Christchurch this morning. So I thought I'll get up and get the intro done to the podcast. Uh, today's show, what's happening in the show? I've got an interview with a guy called Mike Trout. And... Um, he is actually a fellow fitness professional uh, and someone I know from the industry, but also as well uh, is also in the academic world, really. And so he's doing a study right now, and it's an interesting study around the idea of exercise addiction. And so I thought I'd get him on just to have a bit of a chat to him about about the study and where he is with the study and what they're hoping to kind of figure out and stuff like that. And also just get some tips on fitness because he, like myself, is a fitness professional. So. So we'll get him on pretty soon. Um, before that, I, I don't really necessarily have the... Sometimes I have bits before the main gist of the show, and today I really don't because it's, it's 5.30 in the morning on a Sunday. One thing I will say is if you haven't listened to the last episode where I did the I'm the kind of person work, but did the, the level, the next level with it, um, I do recommend you go back and do the work on that show because as I said in that show, I'm finding it to be one of the most powerful tools that I've introduced to my life in a long time and I'm finding it's having a massive effect on just the way the level that I'm in and the level I'm getting to so if you haven't checked it out make sure you go back and listen to that I will say one thing I went to I was up here doing a talk last night actually I did a talk last night for um, the New Zealand I can't actually remember the official name but it's kind of like the Funeral and Obama's Association and it was such an interesting group of people to talk to because these people you know, what a, What an interesting life when you're dealing with the public and, and your community around death. And uh, I was very fortunate to speak to these people, and but it was also really cool just to um, have an insight into their world. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, actually. I had a, a friend of mine, one of my best mates, his father died probably about oh, a couple months ago now. And um, it was a really sad time. And actually, I think I talked about him on the podcast, uh, Mark's dad. And... Just that whole, the funeral people are just so amazing during that time. And you just kind of think it must be an interesting life when you're dealing with death all the time. Um, and, and in many ways, you know, the, the respect of the person who's died, the the caring for the family and the people who um, that person was, you know, their loved ones. And just, you know, when I got to hang out with these people last night, you could tell that they really just respected and understood the importance of their role in their community and I don't know, I just think there's something special about that and actually there was one, there was a pretty cool moment in the night, there was a guy, I can't remember his name but he was basically, because it's an association, he was becoming a lifetime member and uh, he, was, he was an older guy, he was probably, I don't know, obviously around retirement age or, or close to uh, and he was basically being honoured and he didn't actually know he was being honoured, it was a bit of a surprise for him. And it was just one of those moments where, like, I, I, I spoke to this guy for a couple of minutes, so I don't really know him, but it was just one of those moments where you could tell this person had a big impact on those around him throughout his career. And you could just tell that there was kind of an affection for this man in the room, and that there was a lot of support for this man in the room. And it just made me think of that concept, which I've talked about on the show in the past, is this concept of what is your body of work? What is your body of work? And when you get to the end of your career, what will be your body of work? What will you look back on and go, wow, I'm really proud of this work that I've done. And, and you know, when I did talk to this man, you could tell that he really understood the importance of the role of those who deal with death in their community. And uh, he, he was telling me a little thing about how, um, you know, the public really shouldn't know about their association, and not because they shouldn't push you what they do and that it's important, but 
it's not their job to be kind of in the front line. Their job is to help behind the scenes and make it as easy as possible. And just the respect and understanding that he had of his role. And it was kind of that thing of, I, I always have respect for people who understand the key concepts of what they're trying to promote in the world. And then had a body of work of showing this. And this was the thing, obviously this man had been pretty phenomenal in lots of people's lives at a very important time in his life. But the other thing that was really cool about what how they spoke of him was that he'd been so important to the development of many other people in their industry and important in ways that had taught them that kind of philosophy and that way of thinking and that kind of empathy and respect and all those things that you need to be able to be the right person at the right time for those people who are dealing with death and uh, yeah it was just one of those things where you know like I hope at the end of my career I'll be able to look back and go you know what I've got a body of work that I can be really really proud of and uh, like career is is a part of your life and it's just an important thing to think about you, you know have a career where a you know ultimately you want to do something you enjoy and you feel you're having an impact and it gives you meaning but also throughout that build a body of work so when you get to the end of that time that you've spent in your career you go you know what I'm pretty proud of the impact I've had in, in my world, and this man can definitely have that. There you go. I can, I can follow him with a little bit of, you know, b- b- before the main bit of the show. So uh, basically, I'm going to just quickly do the patrons, so let me pull them up right now. And I actually do have a new patron this month, or this episode, uh, and now they've only put their first name in the Patreon page, but I'm pretty sure I know who this is. This is Aladdin, and Aladdin is this lovely, lovely, lovely man, and um, he's, he, he's, he's Syrian, and he came to Christchurch oh, a few years ago, and he joined my running group, and um, he's, he's a very calm soul, and he also is doing a lot of research, he's, he's doing his study, I think he's doing his doctrine actually, on AR, which is augmented reality, you know, so when you look at your phones nowadays, and you can do that thing where you're in a room, but there's something in the room on the screen in the phone, that's augmented reality, and he's actually doing some research on that right now. And he's just this really calm, lovely, lovely, lovely man. Um, and so when I think about a nickname for Aladdin, I think the future. Aladdin, the future. That's his nickname. And the reason is, is because he's designing, he's, he's, he's doing work, when we think about his body of work, um, he's doing work around AR and actually designing some stuff that I imagine it's going to be pretty massive. AR is fascinating when we think about the applications in the long term and we're very much at the beginning. And I imagine some of the work that Aladdin's doing will probably have an impact on that in the long term. So Aladdin, you are, your nickname is The Future. Um, if you want to become a patron, you just go to bevanjamesisles.com and if you check out bevanjamesisles.com, my new website is up and that is thank you to the patrons. It's your support that helps me do this. Um, you go to Bevan James Isles, you go to my podcast link, and you'll just say support me, and it's just got support me in the podcast link, click on that, and it'll take you through to where you can become a patron of the show. Uh, also, I just want to say thank you to a couple other patrons, and that would be uh, Anna Doing it, Dungy. We've got Amanda, super duper amazing Amanda. We've got Ali, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee brown. We've got Priscilla, love me Tina King, and we've got Esther, the golden one, Chi Green. When you become a patron, you get a cool nickname, and thank you for all those who are already are patrons of the show. Right now, uh, I'm going to get into the interview. Here is Mike Trot on the show right now. Okay, team, I'm pretty happy to have a, a man by the name of Mike Trot on the show today. He is a, a fellow Les Mills body attack madman. Uh, he came to New Zealand and he presented uh, on the filming a few years ago, but he also came to Christchurch and talked with me. She said, how long ago was that? About three or four years ago. And uh, someone said to me, oh my God, I never thought I'd meet someone as crazy as you are. So uh, <laughs> so I think we're very aligned in, in the way we do what we do. So this is Mike Trot. Welcome along the show, mate. Hey, Bevan, how's it going? Good, mate. So um, the reason I've got Mike on the show today is, A, he's a fitness professional, he's been in the game for a long time, but B, he's also a bit of an academic in this area, and uh, he's doing some very interesting research uh, that I just thought would be really good to talk about to this audience, uh, and just to kind of people out there think about health and fitness. So maybe you just want to tell us a little bit about your history. Uh, yeah, um, so I'd like to call myself a superhero, Bevan, if I'm going to be honest. Um, you know, by day I'm I'm an academic, and by night I'm a lesbian instructor. <laughs> <laughs> um, definitely sounds more exciting calling it a superhero. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So um, 
yeah, I've been in the fitness industry for for decades now, I suppose, uh, and um, I'm going to be doing that for a very long time in the future as well. Mm. Um, but I've, I've more recently, maybe in the last five years, started to sort of go down the academic route and start to use my brain as much as I use my body, I suppose. Mm. Um, and the mental health mental health is is really is really what i'm interested in um so i'm very interested in 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 all things mental health and fitness related um probably more fitness uh, fitness uh fitness than sports um just because that that's where i've come from i've come from more of a fitness background than a, yeah. than, a um, than a sporting one uh and uh, I've done some work in personality types and looking at personality types and group exercise, actually, and trying to work out what personality types might people be best, maybe best suited to from a group exercise point of view. Uh, so we did some really interesting research a few years ago on that. Um, and uh, after that, uh, I started my PhD, and that is exploring the phenomenon that is exercise addiction uh, or exercise dependence, depending on uh, depending on, on what you're reading. And it's a really interesting condition uh, where people are... It's social relationships break down because of their relationship with exercise. Mm. Uh, I've read case studies of people getting into quite bad financial debts, people dropping out of school, uh, and, and all sorts of... of pretty bad things actually coming as a result of, of maybe going too far mm. uh, and just doing a little bit too much and maybe being a bit compulsive uh, um, as well as being excessive. Uh, so so my research really uh, is, is kind of exploring that in a couple of different populations and it's links with things like eating disorders and body dysmorphia um, even things like social media use, uh, particularly given uh, yeah, social media has a, has a massive influence in all of our lives now, which probably didn't happen, wasn't, wasn't the case 10, 20 years ago. Mm. Um, and seeing the impact of, of things like uh, the perfect body image being kind of blasted at people, uh, despite that you know, not necessarily being the whole truth. You know, you see a perfect body, but it's a lot more likely that that person has looked like that for about an hour. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the, the kind of the scope of my research. It's um, and it's a pretty exciting time to be honest, because um, some work was done in the in the in what well, started in the seventies, but some work was done in in the nineties and noughties, and then there was kind of a, a little bit of a, of a hiatus, a bit of a gap. Not much was done from an academic view, and then all of a sudden uh, things have started to kind of restart again. So it's quite it's quite an interesting time to be involved in exercise addiction. And I imagine that's partly because of the need of the time as well, you know, like with the advent of social media and this kind of more pressure on image and stuff like that, you know, the academic want to kind of be aligned with what's really happening out there and to get a deeper understanding. Absolutely. Um, you know, like if you if you take, uh, for an example, like I, I don't know what your personal view is or the people you listen, but I personally think the best Christmas movie of all time is Die Hard. Oh, no. um, <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> but even if you look at uh, sort of going back then you know that the, the the leading man was bruce willis and mm. a very athletic guy and a fairly achievable body shape for for quite a lot of men mm. um but nowadays you look at you know the similar type of the avengers movies and and all of these other movies that are coming out the leading guys are a completely different shape and and you know arguably less attainable um and then the, this kind of We've got social media on top of that, which kind of makes that worse. So it's a super interesting time to be to be looking at this, and and what what we're what we're actually hoping that some of the research will do is kind of kickstart people looking into this in a bit more detail, uh, and hopefully because uh, some of the links, are, especially with body dysmorphia and social media, um, we're can, we're doing more of a scoping overview more than an in depth analysis, and hopefully it's going to kind of inspire some some younger researchers uh, uh, to uh, maybe some students to really, to really get into this in more detail. So, so you know, the, the thing about academic kind of study is that you really need to prove something, don't you? There's a process that says, you know, that this can be duplicated and this is proven. So, you, but I imagine you go into these 
kind of moments where you are doing a big project like this with an idea of what you think you're going to get. Um, and so maybe tell me what you thought that was leading into this. Yeah, so it's 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 a tricky subject because you're absolutely right. Um, you always do when you do research. You always got a hunch on what you think is going to happen, and generally speaking, the hunch the hunch generally should be based on previous research. You know, this this this, which means that this probably means this. Um, in this case, there there hasn't been much done on it actually. Um, however, I do have an answer to your question. Um, so we we did a, we did a study last year. Uh, looking at prevalence of exercise um, addiction in different populations, and we found that uh, health club users was something. To, it was something around thirteen percent of health club users were um, were at risk. Really, wow! Uh, which is it's surprisingly high, right? Yeah, yeah. At least that's what we thought. Um, that's going to be published later in the year. Uh, surprisingly high. So we're kind of expecting maybe similar numbers from our current study, which is doing a similar thing, but with fitness instructors as well. Um, but I'm going to be, I'm going to be really, I'm going to kind of answer, but not answer. Um, because our current study, we're still collecting data. Yeah. Um, if I were to tell you exactly what I thought was going to happen, that might lead people to answer in a certain way. Um, so maybe in six, uh, well, we, we finished data collection at the end of July. So first of August, I'll tell you exactly what I think is going to happen <laughs> and what my hunch was. Um, yeah, but I, hopefully that's kind of not a like, sort of damp squib of an answer. Mm. Um, but I've definitely got some hunches on what I think that some of the links are going to be. What, what are some of the, you know, like I, I think in a period of my life I was the, the case that you're talking about. I don't think I am now. I think exercise, I have a really healthy place of exercise in my life. But I definitely, I work up at 30, exercising 30 hours a week, lonely. Um, and it was... Uh, a real moment in my life where I was like, oh, shit, I need to change. You know, like I really realized that this pursuit of exercise um, was really unhealthy for me. And and it's a really interesting thing with exercise because like most bad, most behaviors that are detrimental to your life seem obvious to the outside. So when we look at like alcohol consumption or smoking or overeating, you know, there's, there's lots of people out there who are going to kind of, hey, mate, you're right, support you, or, or is it social pressure because you know you're doing something particularly kind of bad in, in the social eyes at least. Whereas for me and when I was in it, my world rewarded me, you know, because exercise is something that we or, or most people can't even do. A lot of people aspire to do. So my world was looking at me and saying, oh, my God, you are this kind of star because you are so good at the thing that we don't do and so I was rewarded to to maintain a lifestyle that was actually really unhealthy for me and those around me um, and it, it's to me that's one of the most difficult thing about this is that you know when you say there's people 13 percent of the people at the gym have this level of exercise which is ultimately kind of detrimental to them it's it's like people people are like well this is exercise well, how can it be bad no, absolutely. It's it's um, it's a catch twenty two, isn't it? Because uh, with uh, we know that with exercise has comes a plethora of health benefits. You know, it reduces cancer, diabetes, yeah. stroke. You know, and 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 it's also a kind of it, it is the catch all pill for a lot of mental health conditions. You know, you mm. it, for for most mental health stuff, you do some exercise, you're going to feel better, mm. even if it's not long term, it's short term. So. Um, so the, the the being rewarded for exercise thing is is absolutely uh, appropriate. Of course it is. Um, mm. And but the the question, I suppose the the ultimate question is how much is too much, mm. and when when where is that point where uh, it, it, the the benefits start to get negated by actual some some negative consequences that people may suffer, mm. and that that I suppose is one of the ultimate questions we're looking to to answer. Uh, in our in our research, because uh, okay, our study says thirteen thirteen percent of health club users are at risk. Uh, but the big question with that is, all that really is, is is a bunch of numbers. You know, someone someone clicked a survey or something, and, and then a bunch of numbers came through. There, the numbers were crunched, and that's that's what came out. Um, the real question with those thirteen percent of people is, okay, so a, a questionnaire said you're at risk, but are you actually 
uh, clinically addicted to, to exercise is this genuinely a bad thing or, or do you just exercise uh, excessively for example mm. because uh, so examples of uh, iron men triathletes marathon runners you know they, um, you, they are a lot of them would be put into at risk category just because of the sheer amount of exercise yeah. they do that yeah. doesn't mean that that's a that's a problem necessarily mm. uh, or it doesn't mean that it's doing it's it's having negative consequences on their life and um i think there's a gap in knowledge at the moment is that we just don't know whether this excessiveness is turning into obsessive compulsion mm. yeah so it's not um, necessarily and- a number like the hours that i exercise it's the kind of like if we think of my example when i was exercising 30 hours a week i kind of went down to about 17 hours after which which a lot of people would say is excessive but i figured out how to live a life around 17 hours it was actually quite balanced so i probably was an unhealthy you know kind of in that context you're talking about but i still had an unhealthy number or, or a high number after the fact but i actually had a pretty good life i'd figured out how to make that work in a life where i had lots of other things in my life yeah and and actually one of the one of the diagnostic criteria is um does someone need to exercise more and more and more to get the same kind of whatever it is they're getting out of it so high or whether it's uh um whether they're just feeling satisfied by the amount of exercise they're doing so actually the ability to drop from 30 to 17 is probably an indication that uh, that's quite well eventually it was quite a healthy relationship um Mm. uh so yeah (laughs) So um, I, I did your study, and, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. When, when does it finish? When can people keep applying or um, filling uh, it out? It, we, we're collecting data until the end of July. Okay. I'll put a link to the, to the study so you guys can go fill it out. But um, I, it was a lot around nutrition as well. So what are the things, like it seemed like you were kind of curious around how much, like one thing I always kind of think about is um, how much mind space are you wasting in your life? And to me, I think there's a lot of people who are perceived as healthy, um, but they spend a lot of time thinking about food. You know what I mean? And to me, that's a waste of my life. To me, to spend time other than when I'm eating, uh, to be thinking about food is such a waste of what I could be doing with my mind space. And it seemed like the, 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 the kind of the research you're doing right now is not just kind of the exercise, it's a bit about our nutrition as well. Yeah, completely. Uh, so there is a, there's a massive link uh, between uh, eating disorders, disordered eating, and uh, exercise compulsion, exercise addiction really? dependence. Um, so it's really important that we identify people who are at risk of eating disorders uh, because there's actually a chance that the exercise addiction could be a more of a symptom of disordered eating oh, okay. rather than a, a primary thing in itself. Mm. Um, and that's one of the reasons there are so many nutrition questions is, is because we, we really want to see, um, we want to really get people who don't have an eating disorder and focus on on those people so we need to screen out people with eating disorders essentially um interestingly we've just i've just sent off a draft funnily enough of um, another paper um demonstrating the the prevalence of exercise addiction in eating disorder versus non-eating disorder uh, populations and the difference is remarkable um it's it's a it's over 50 percent in people with eating disorders oh, really? um, it is it is really really high um, so it's really important that we have that information when we collect the data. Mm-hmm. Um, with regards to the headspace thing, I actually, uh, I have conversations with people this quite a lot, uh, quite a lot about food. Um, I mean, I exercise a reasonable amount, um, but I'm the same as you. I don't think about food at all. Mm. Um, in fact, I can sit at my computer all day and just forget to eat completely. Mm. Um, which, which again is actually quite an unhealthy behaviour, but it's just the complete opposite of of most people in the industry, particularly. You know, they tend to. It's all about you know macros and, and yeah. total calories and um, and all of all of this is mostly not performance related. So I can understand that if you are training for absolutely you know, top performance, then macros and, and everything is going to be really important because that can give you the edge. Um, but what I've actually found is, is with with most people in the industry, it's 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 aesthetics. It's all about how you look, mm. uh, and and that is 
as again, it's kind of ing- in- indicative of of the times we live in now, where everyone feels like you have to kind of look perfect and be this or be that to to kind of succeed. And I personally believe that the reality is very different, but the, that reality is kind of shrouded by by again the, the Instagram and and Snapchat. I don't really understand Snapchat. I don't really understand how it works, but you know, all of these other things that that are out there. Mm. Um, so that the eating piece is is super interesting because it's not just it's not just eating disorders it's also disordered eating which is a very different thing um but yeah we we really we're really what's interested the on, on the, the kind of links what's the difference between uh, disordered and uh those two how would you define them so uh, an eating disorder would be uh, would be a diagnosed thing so an eating disorder would be anorexia it would be there are a couple of types of anorexia um bulimia uh, as well um and this uh, and disordered eating is an unhealthy relationship with food that probably isn't up to clinical significance okay so uh, disordered eating might be someone who um who is obsessively counting you know calories and 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 things but it's but there's no way that they they have bulimia or or, uh, anorexia but it is an unhealthy relationship with food yeah yeah um you said there's been research up to this point in time and you guys are kind of the next wave of the evolution of the research um what is what's some of the research up to this point in time taught you guys um well it, the, the the history behind it's actually quite interesting it all started it started in the 70s um and it all started around runners where um uh, 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 i think a guy it's frederick frederick Blake, blakeland his name was and he was trying to find people um to do an exercise deprivation study, uh, to, and they were, and he, he was going to pay people to stop exercising for a month, and he wanted to see well how they slept and, and other things as well. And he actually found that people who were exercising more than four times a week wouldn't stop. He couldn't get any any participants. Um, so that's that's kind of how it started, which was quite which was quite which was quite funny. Um, he also found withdrawal symptoms with people who trained. I think I think it was something like uh, three to four times a week, um, and he found that. The, those people had sleep disturbances very similar to uh, alcoholics who are coming off alcohol wow so that that's kind of how it started and, and that the kind of physiological rather than just psychological symptom that's kind of where it all started and that's super cool um it's and it, it's it's kind of taught us that 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 is not just the, the it's not just the psychological. It's not just feeling bad. It's not just uh, you know feeling compelled to do something. Like there there are genuine physiological symptoms which you can have, uh, and withdrawal is one of them. Um, another kind of more um, anecdote about the history is uh, there's an ironic case which is very sad but, but ironic nonetheless of uh, Jim Fix he was a runner and he was a he was a doctor and wrote a book about how running could cure heart um, ischemic heart disease and he was convinced that you know just going out for a run uh, would protect you from certain heart conditions and he uh, ran despite chest pains for a very long time and um, ended up dying on a run from a heart attack Oh no, that's it's kind of it. It's kind and, of ironic. Yeah. And that, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, 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 you, you kind of couldn't make it up, could no, you? No, you couldn't, <laughs> no. Not, not to um, laugh at death, but you've got, you got to see the funny slide. Yeah, but the, the, the funny thing about that is that that, that that case being so public, and you, know, you can still get his book, um, kind of illustrates that you can go quite a long way down the line uh, as in running through he had ischemic heart disease and, and I've been assured by by doctors and clinicians that the chest pains that you get pr- prior to a, uh, a heart attack that's going to kill you is going to be excruciatingly painful mm-hmm. so it's kind of an example that you can really get to the point where you are exercising through extreme pain mm-hmm. but still doing it nonetheless mm-hmm. which kind of illustrates that 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 there there I personally believe it's more of a spectrum that there are there are people at the very top end of that spectrum where it really is it really is, could be really damaging. Mm. Um, but the the main thing that the historical research has taught us is that actually going back to the eating disorders thing, which is 
we have to screen for eating disorders. Like we have to know whether the condition is a symptom or whether it's something by itself. Because if it's a symptom, it can be treated. Like we, there are there are lots of treatment uh, options available for eating disorders that 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 that, that can be that can have and and that that's really important. And a lot of the previous research is actually they haven't screened for eating disorders at all. So all of this, we have loads of really cool data and none of it means anything because we just don't know, we don't know the status of these people. Okay. Uh, so, so the biggest thing that, that we've kind of learned is that we really need to be just a little bit more methodical and a bit more detail orientated when uh, going forwards in this area. And, and that's not to, not to say in any, any, any way that the research that's been done in the past is bad. Um, it's just that we didn't know. Yeah. So you've got to really divide them up so then you can be specific around how you're going to study the people you're really trying to study. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and also like get people the help they need as well. As in there are some uh, CBT therapies that can be used that have been used for exercise addiction. Is that going to work for an eating disorder patient or is for, is clinician help going to be more beneficial? And it's really important just to... Uh, to get people the specialized help they need because treating exercise addiction in someone who has an eating disorder, like we need to treat the eating disorder first yeah, and actually maybe the exercise addiction will go. So from a, from a, from a health point of view, and ultimately the reason why I do this is because I, I believe in helping people. That's why I'm in the fitness industry. Yeah. Um, it's really important that, that these people know where to go for help and we know where to send them for help. And, and, and at this moment, what is out there for those who, you know, if we do divide and we just look at the people who maybe have that unhealthy level of exercise that you're kind of looking to study, what are the options? Like, what are the pathways? Is it pretty traditional to any kind of behaviour change or is it like what's out there and what advice do we give to those people? Well, the, um, the, the official advice is that there isn't any actually because it's not officially a diagnosable condition. Wow. Uh, because actually, because we actually don't have enough data on it. Yeah. Um, so the, actually, the only psychological um, addiction that is that is um, recognised in at least in the US is gambling. Oh, really? Nothing else is is actually recognised. There's obviously substance abuse and substance addiction, which is clearly recognised, and, and gambling is the only one. So, you know, things like uh, things that you hear about quite social media sex addiction all these other things that are psychological they're kind of they're kind of out there with exercise addiction at the moment that they're probably a thing um but just not enough research has been done so with that in mind there's there is very little advice on what to do and the interesting thing is it's likely that if you have it like you were saying at the time you're not going to realize you're not going to you're not necessarily going to know and if you do kind of know you might you might be very resistant Mm. so i would if 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 i was giving out advice personally obviously all of my medical training i don't have by the way (laughs) um, (laughs) um, i would i would be asking uh my peers my friends whether they thought anything was wrong or they or they have they seen any differences in my behavior Uh, and that would be the first first step um because we, we know that a lot of a lot of exercise addicts uh, they they miss social occasions as in yeah. social occasions that we would find that we need to go to things like weddings and, yeah, and other things but they would not event. do that because they have yeah. to train uh, also training through injury as well yeah um, and there have been some some CBT therapies tried uh, my personal knowledge on the CBT therapies isn't isn't great because we're not that that stage yet but. Um, what it certainly what going to a cognitive behavioral therapist is going to do it's certainly not going to make anything any worse okay um which is key so um so actually seeing seeing a cbt therapist is 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 probably the most sensible route to go down at the moment but obviously if with with all uh, health conditions if a gp should should know enough to be able to uh, probably refer you on to probably a psychiatrist because that um, psychiatrists are slowly starting to come around to this. Um, we actually have a psycho- psychiatrist on our team now from the Royal College of, College of Psychiatry. So, you know, the, uh, uh, the the big kind of band of UK psychiatrists are starting to get on board with it. Um, so it's 
it's a very difficult one for for what specifically to recommend. It's interesting. Like, uh, and, and and I'm not sure if you have the answer, but well, I, you know, but it's curious. Like, if we look at how gambling is treated, I'd be curious to see. And it's something we will only learn in the future. But I'd be curious to see if it is similar methods that help people move on from gambling that actually work in an area like this. Because the, the, the thing about this one, and it's kind of going back to what I was talking about with my experience, that my world rewarded me for, and, and, and I was very good at it. Whereas gambling, although I'm sure people who gamble probably think they're good at it and it's a similar thing, um, it was kind of like, how do you give up the thing you're great at? You know, that was, that was one of the things I had to confront was because, you know, how do you, how do you stop the thing you're great at to do something you're not great at? And it was a real kind of journey for me to have to figure that out. And, um, yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it'll be interesting. Like, obviously you don't have the answers yet, but it'll be interesting to see, is it a similar approach with something like CBT or is it, will it need its own little niche kind of approach to actually help people progress forward? So I think, uh, I think all the evidence points in, uh, in the direction that actually therapies that are similar to gambling will work. And uh, I, I mentioned the evidence uh, because if, if you look at the, the, the techniques that, uh, sex addiction and sex addiction clinics in the US use um, that's not a recognized condition officially uh, but they use uh, uh, CBT and they use some some methods that are very similar to to um, to getting people off off gambling addiction essentially mm-hmm. and it's 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 most definitely the most sensible place to start because mm-hmm. we have evidence that it works in other psychological conditions um, one of the the I mean it, it's kind of half being a realist but but it kind of makes me sad at the same time, uh, is that the, the the prevalence of the condition is, when we look at it, obviously a whole population, it's going to be very, very, very small because fewer than half of the population exercise at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so the kind of the funding and the the the, the general kind of research into what therapies might work is going to be really low, at least in the next decade or so, just because there there are there are bigger priorities out yeah. there for governments to spend their money on, and, and one of the and the biggest priority is just to get people moving in the first place. Like, yeah. I would say that if 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 enough people were moving, and then exercise addiction really did become uh, more mainstream. That would be on on a on a on a on a on a on a whole scale. That would kind of be a great problem to have because it means it would mean that the population is generally much healthier because yeah. they're all going to be moving. Yeah. Um, and and I kind of makes me sad to say that because it's my area that I'm working in. Um, so yeah, it, it's kind of difficult. I, th- I think I genuinely think there are going to be some 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 there's going to be some more research coming out in the next couple of years about more therapies uh because because it is slowly in the research area at least starting to become a bit more prominent well also i think another thing that's really important is to be able to educate fitness professionals so that we can start to become aware of the signs uh also you know because it's like you know i don't i'm sure you've been in gyms where you've seen people who have anorexia and it's like well well, what's our role you know and, and how do we you know, do we say something? And if, if we do, how do we approach it? And, and a lot of times we just don't have the skills. And, uh, and I know anorexia is quite a big one, but, you know, this could be as extreme to somebody else in the fitness area as well. And if we can gain a deeper sense of knowledge around what this is, how it works, and how we can help people progress forward and our roles as leaders and how we can actually navigate someone down a better path is, is a really important thing to actually try to figure out, isn't it? I completely agree with you. Um, I think, I think anyone who's worked in the, in the industry for, for any decent amount of time has, has, has been through that dilemma of seeing, seeing somebody do something that probably isn't in their best interest, and whether that be uh, eating disorders, someone being incredibly skinny or someone walking in with a cast on and trying to run, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, um, uh, and and the I think everyone's been through that. You know, what is my what is my position here? What can I do? What can't I do? What should I say? Uh, and and the argument is is very much alive, isn't it? It's it's very much relevant because on one end you want to help people, you absolutely do. Um, so actually ignoring the problem mm. is 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 likely to cause more harm. Mm. But then again. The big question is, 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 is 
do we do we have currently the training and, and the expertise to address the problem yeah. because just because for example just because someone looks like they're very very skinny it doesn't that, that, that doesn't give us the right to assume that they have an eating disorder like mm. it could be it could have cancer there could be a chemo so there could be so many things um so many things there um but i think i think it is genuinely really important to educate the fitness industry about the possible signs because there isn't the stigma and there isn't the clinical aspect that's attached to eating disorders as in if if we are especially fitness instructors who do a lot of classes if we see the same people in class after class after class after class after class and we speak to our colleagues who also see the same person class after class uh, we can kind of generate quite a decent picture of whether they're probably going up they're probably just doing a bit too much um and i suppose the 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 actual finding that the, the signs thing will be quite easy and it's something which we plan to do at the very very end of the phd is to is planning on going to some fitness uh, um, conferences around the uk and starting to talk about this subject um, i suppose the real challenge is do we have the right to tell people what to do with their lives yeah and and if we uh, well, and the, the obvious answer to the correct question is no, but you know, where does our duty of care stop? Yeah, exactly. And, and is, yeah, yeah, but, but that's the thing, it's such a, this, it's murky waters, isn't it? Because I also know that some defining moments in my life is because someone noticed something and said something to me, you know, and uh, I remember when I was, when I was, well, I was, I was a druggie when I was younger, and when I was a druggie, um, one of my friends said to me, Bev, you realise you're a druggie? And, and, and I was, I was stoned 24 seven, you know, like I was, I was stoned all the time, but I never saw the problem. And then as soon as he said it, and he was coming from caring, um, it was, it was, it was a life turning moment for me, but you know, but yeah, yeah, that's a really hard one, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's, 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 well, but these yeah, are the kind it's, of it's, discussions we need to be having, isn't it? Cause we need to be, cause the other thing as well is yes. a lot of the people with the problem are the leaders in the fitness industry. You know, Absolutely. And, it, and it's a hard thing to confront as well, isn't it? I think I think um, I think one of the things that the fitness industry can do definitively is give instructors and people in the industry the tools to be able to have the conversation, mm. uh, because there there are ways of having conversations without being um, without being doctors and without trying to diagnose people or without to to accuse people of doing bad things. Mm. Um, but I think I think our role can can be particular in getting people just to think about it a little bit yeah. more as in getting the, the excessive exercises or, or whatever just to think about the amount that they're doing and is it good for their bodies because like as you said it just takes someone to say something in definitely not an accusatory manner yeah um <laughs> maybe not like your mate who said that that you're a druggie uh, <laughs> but just just someone to just 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 to just to kind of start the ripple yeah, uh, and to just just say, have you thought about how much you're doing here? And you know, maybe in twenty years' time, your knees might be knackered, yeah. or something, or something along those lines. And the, the, and that, you know, they can choose to accept that information or not. But it certainly will get people thinking about it. And I really think that's a key role for fitness instructors because that's not, it, it is a set of skills that can be taught, but, yeah. um, and and I don't think it's going to take quite. Um, a lot of input from the industry to be able to get people it's just it's just i think getting the ball rolling so uh, i just want to move on to just your kind of you know this is a, a well, it's kind of fitness based kind of podcast um and uh you're you're a fitness professional who's very successful has been around for a long time and lots of people who listen to the show are already into fitness but we get people who, who are kind of at the beginning of their journey just what would be some advice as a fitness professional that you would say people need to do to be successful on you know if we are talking to 50 percent who aren't moving at all what would you say are some of the keys for and in, in introducing and having a successful journey with exercise in, in your life um that's a great question um so i think i think the the the, the, the key thing for a fitness professional first to have is you need to have a genuine like for people um and and this is this is important because because uh, I found a lot of fitness professionals that what they actually really like is people who like fitness. Mm. Uh, and those people, those people don't need to necessarily be 
they're, 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 they're already here they're already they're already into it so i think we we need to be comfortable in talking to people and wanting to talk to people who don't already do exercise that's really key um because like we're all more co- we're all so comfortable talking to our, our inverted commas our own kind yeah um but what, what we're not comfortable doing is talking to people who doesn't don't, who don't necessarily share our views and yeah, there's a lot of the population who don't share our views about fitness but if they did they, they'd already be in a gym or they'd be out running or, or doing whatever so i think having a genuine uh genuine like for all different types of people is a start and the reason why i start there uh bevan is because I don't know what it's like in, in, in New Zealand or Australia, but certainly over here, there's there's a small subset of uh, new fitness professionals who get into it because they want to be rich okay. or they want to be a personal <laughs> personal trainer to the stars, you know. Um, there's no money where, in which, fitness, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. no, if you want to be rich, you're in the wrong industry. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but th- there seems to be some kind of maybe maybe some myth, some misguided. Um, yep. Um, some some it's going to happen in there, but uh, I also suggest um, you, you just got to talk to people, man. Like you, and you have to not be afraid to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I I come from more of a, a group exercise background than a PT background, but like it is it is all about talking to the person who doesn't look comfortable. Mm-hmm. It it's all about getting getting people to feel comfortable in a an exercise setting Where, and now that, that doesn't that does not that even that doesn't have to be group exercise that can be anything um but if we're not comfortable having that conversation then then we're going to struggle to get everyone moving mm-hmm. um, um, just just uh what do you struggle with with exercise okay because I, I like to ask this question because you know like people like us we're the role models we, we do it um and you know like I sometimes you know you, it's that you said I'm a superhero and I know it's kind of like hard to joke but um you know people see us in that light and they think we're perfect and, and I always think it's kind of just nice to reveal our kind of jagged edges so maybe what's what's your struggle within it um I've actually gone through a bit of a, a bit of a a big 12 months regarding this actually um so my i would say my struggle would be trying to do everything okay. and trying to do i've been trying to do a bit too much and um actually doing things i don't enjoy um and kind of having the the kind of maybe the bravery the guts to to say and this is a specific example like i don't necessarily like going into the gym and lifting weights like i'm not the type of person i I don't enjoy doing bicep curls and bench mm. press and all the type of kind of typical weightlifting things. Um, but it's taken me a long time to kind of identify that. And now I I go out and I do things I enjoy. I go out running. I go out cycling. I I do some uh, explosive stuff in in our in our local gym. But I think that's that's been a big struggle. Is just trying to find what I really enjoy and not doing something else because I think I have to. Okay. Um, and I think the. The, the vanity in the industry has probably pushed me to, to lift weights and trying to look a certain way. And which again, that kind of has gone to full circle, hasn't it really? <laughs> um, uh, and, and it's taken me a good long while to kind of get over that vanity. You know, I'm, I'm long and I'm lean. That's the way I'm built. Like, why am I trying to be short and stocky? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's just not going to work. Um, so kind of making peace with, with that. I'm happy with the way I look has probably been that the, the, the biggest thing i have struggled with and maybe the biggest thing i've got over and i, I genuinely becoming a dad in the last year or so has really helped with that mm. um because my time has become much more limited as mm. as as you can imagine yeah so you found um, you found you have a healthier approach to the why whereas maybe you're chasing the wrong thing in the past and in this last moment's led you really go you know what the why is i do the thing i like doing yeah completely yeah. Yeah. um i'm i i do things that make me better at my job as in i i religiously do things that are going to make me a better instructor but that but that categorically does not mean i have to go to the gym and do three sets of 10 on the bench press yeah yeah uh, how's that going to make me better at doing body attack which is burpee tucks and stuff yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. And actually, um, if you want to, if you want to be a better instructor, it's get better at learning names. You know, like it's it's you know, like it's, people really don't care about you look that much. You know, it's more how do you make people feel, isn't it? 
Absolutely, it's 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 all of those soft skills, isn't it? Mm. Uh, and and in in Les Mills speak, it's all about connection, man. It's it's all about connection. Yeah, it really. Um, is. People don't care about the way you look. They don't really necessarily care about your quality of coaching, as long as you as long as you give them the experience, you know. Yeah, totally. Um, and and yeah, that that that, that is that is the most important thing. Hey, so thank you for so much for your time. So um, maybe once you've got your study con, once you've got some more conclusions, maybe we'll get back on. You can kind of give us a bit more insight on what you've got on. Um, I'll put a link to the questionnaire, um, and you, if you guys want to go and do it, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Um, anything you want to plug just before we wrap it up? Uh, no, man. I'm. I'm. Uh, no, not at all. I, I, I thank you for having me on. It's. Uh, I've, I've listened to this podcast for a couple of years now. So. Great kind of delighted that i get to be a part of it so uh so yeah thanks very much for your time awesome mate. thanks for your time mate you're a star so some pretty interesting stuff there from mike and um it'll be really interesting we'll, we'll get him definitely get back on once he's got more completion with it it's obviously pretty hard when you're in the academic world because there are aspects that you can't reveal until you've actually got the outcomes um, but it's pretty interesting stuff and he was talking to me afterwards and he, and he you know he didn't want to kind of reveal insights in this public domain but he did have a couple of things that he thought would he thinks may come through it's going to be pretty fascinating so I will actually get him back on in a few months from now when he's actually got a bit more of the evidence that comes with it it's just some really interesting stuff to think about here isn't there and so just this idea of exercise addiction and um, it's a topic and it's interesting that as you're saying like when we think about big problems I don't know if exercise addiction is necessarily going to be one that's going to get a lot of attention from uh, you know governments and funding agencies and those types of things because you know they're probably in their eyes there's bigger problems to try to solve but you know it it is a problem and it's a problem that we definitely need more in an understanding about and I would say that I was definitely somebody who was at that level at some stage in my life and unfortunately I've moved on from that exercise is it's still a presence in my life and it's still a presence I need I'm not going to deny that um but I have a much healthier place for it in my life right now um yeah that's pretty much today's show done and dusted. If you want to support the show, you just go to bevanjamesisles.com. You can check out my new website. And when you go there, you can also become a patron of the show. Just go click on uh, the podcast link and you'll see support me. Click on that and you go through the patronage process. Uh, if you want to email me, you can email me at bevanjames at gmail.com if you have any questions or anything you want to share about the show. And yeah, I'll be back in a couple of weeks' time. And that's pretty much me for today. It's, it's just about 6 o'clock in the morning. I'm due for some breakfast. I think I've got to wait another half an hour before I can go downstairs and have some breakfast. So I'll uh, get a bit more work done and then I'll get some kai. Kai is food in Māori in New Zealand, so I'll get some kai. So yeah, that's me out for now. I'll see you at the same time in a couple of weeks' time. How do I finish the show? I basically always say, just keep being you.